What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, unfortunately, week 12 in the books. I say unfortunately because that means one week left of the greatest regular season of any sport. You and I agree on that. College football is just different. Best regular season is what makes college football special. And a big week with championship implications this past week. But before we get there, we do have to lead off with the biggest news of the day as we're recording this Sunday, November 21st. Dan Mullen officially out at Florida. And Daniel, you and I have talked about it kind of all this season, how things were going at Florida. Um, and look, when, you, when you're five and six and you lose to Missouri, was their fifth loss in a row? Is that, is that right? And uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not where you want to be if you're Florida. Like, this is never acceptable at Florida. And, look, you know, it looks like the team's quick, culture problems. All that being said, Mullen is out. So that's the big news that we got to lead with. We can talk a little bit about what led to this, like their, their game against Missouri. Um, and then, of course, like, like, I'll start talking some candidates because, you know, I've said, Daniel, this is going to be one of the best and craziest coaching carousels in recent memory because you and I did a podcast this offseason of the best jobs in college football. And LSU we put as number two, Florida we put as number four, USC at number seven. All three of those jobs are available. I cannot – this is why football, college football has no offseason. This is so fun. Yeah, I mean, you see I wore my commemorative Florida State shirt today. Um, you know, for for the Mullen firing, of course, we have to see um, – We'll, we'll get to see how our ranking in the offseason plays out in real time um, with an, a true, you know, mark your territory, um, survival of the fittest, who's got the best, you know, resources to pull the best coach. Um, and so in one offseason, you're going to have, like you said, those three huge brands all going after their guy. Now they may all go after different guys. They may target a different top candidate. They may all go after the same guy. Um, I think there's this, it's weird because it almost feels like a, a year where there might be some slim, more slim pickings than normal. Uh, it feels almost like a lighter year as far as potential, um, I don't know, top tier candidates. There's not like this obvious, this is the right answer um, that's going to fix anything in particular. Uh, you kind of have to keep looking at the periphery for all these different, you know, if it's, is it someone in the NFL? Is it a top assistant? Is it another head coach somewhere? I mean, all of these jobs can pull head coaches from several other schools in the nation. Um, is this where they play that card and take someone who's got the head coaching experience? Or do they maybe take a chance on someone with, you know, uh, some great coordinator experience and turn them into a head coach and try to, you know, make their own stamp on a program? I mean, we said this is a top four job in college football. This is Florida. And that's why Scott Strickland, I think, made a strong statement at his press conference today with like the rest of the coaching carousel is not going to dictate what Florida does in that they're Florida. Like they get to dictate how the coaching carousel goes. That's how they feel. That's how they should feel. This is the university of Florida. And Dana, you you and I talked about, we, we were talking off air, like who are some candidates? What are you looking for in a head coach? If I'm Florida, here's what I'm looking for. A, a relentless recruiter. One of the main reasons you moved on from Dan Mullen was you're not recruiting. And on top of that, you're not recruiting at a time where Miami is down or Florida State is down. 
and you're not dominating in your own state. You're not even beating out those schools in your own state, much less the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Georgias that are coming into the state and taking your best players out. So, A, they're going to hire a relentless recruiter. B, they need a program CEO to pull their resources and get the, the fan base, the boosters, the university behind this football team and make football a priority as it should be at the University of Florida. And I know that the, the University of Florida is a top five public university, great, great academics, all this stuff, but, but you're the University of Florida for football. Like yeah. you've won national championships in the last two decades. There, this is the most talent-rich state in the country. Mm-hmm. There's enough recruits for even if you, Miami, and Florida State are all really good, there's enough recruits for all of you to have top five classes. There's that many players in the state. And so and, – and here's the thing. The other thing we said, Daniel, is this is Scott Strickland hiring for his job because right. he hired Mullen. If he gets this hire wrong, the next person fired will not be the head coach of Florida. It will be the athletic director of Florida. That being said, Daniel, who's who's your hot board? Who are some names of your Florida that you're looking at? So to kind of go off of that, you know, you were talking about the relentless recruiter, those kinds of mindsets. You look at most coaching hires, I mean, just in general, you're going to go from what the coach previously did and you're going to pick something different. So, you know, things you described, Dan Mullen, he's like a, you know, tactician, schematic guy, you know, really hands deep in the offense rather than, you know, more of a hands-off approach at, you know, basically put his hands on the entire program. Um, you know, he didn't really seem to care uh, deeply about culture. Um, I mean, every coach cares about it. I'm not saying he doesn't, but it wasn't necessarily an emphasis where he was trying to, you know, cultivate just this like, you know, competitive, you know, I don't know, team, team first culture that ultimately led to his demise, I think. Um, and then, you know, recruiting while, you know, he was still having top 10 classes or, you know, top 15 classes at Florida. It's just different. It's like what you're saying where, I mean, there's enough players to go around for them to have a top five class every single year. So there wasn't really an excuse. And so a guy who can do more with less, it ultimately, it's like, you don't have to do more. You You don't have to do more with less. You can can do do more more with more. more. (laughs) Just, just have the players and it may have actually worked out for him Uh, for someone like Mullen to have the awareness to maybe staff a bunch of recruiters that are killers on the trail that may have changed things for him. Now you look previous to that, they had McElwain who is also thought to be more of a, you know, schematics guy was okay on the recruiting trail. Nothing fantastic. Um, Cause he was previously Alabama's offensive coordinator. So that's kind of the route that they went. And then obviously prior to that, it was Will Muschamp who, is similar to that Saban Kirby model, all that stuff where they are relentless recruiters. Um, and, and that, that was the route. So kind of looking at all of that, I kind of pulled it together and said, okay, who can kind of do what they're wanting to do. The one of the first names that came to my mind, if we're going with head coaches is Mario Cristobal. Now he's lost a little shine because of obviously their, their loss against Utah, um, he seems like he keeps hitting his head on a ceiling over there in the Pac-12. Part of me wants to know what he could do with unlimited resources that he could potentially have a, a place like Florida. Um, he's from Miami. 
So, you know, there's been talk smoke around him coming back that to a Miami job. That, that is possible. <laughs> but I'm saying you go from being on the left coast to being in his home state yeah. in the SEC. I think that's also a bigger pool than if he were at Miami in the ACC and they don't have the dollars uh, because of it being a private university, um, or at least on the surface, they don't have the dollars. Nevis Shapiro may have something else to say about it. But um, anyways, Mario Cristobal would be one of the ones I would think about. Obviously, you, you know, you've got your, you know, Lane Kiffin. Um, I'm mentioning Dave Aranda for the sake of mentioning him. I think he's done a great job at Baylor. Um, and he's been in the SEC as a high, high you know, level coordinator. Billy Napier, um, he's going to be due for one of these jobs. I would say, you know, Luke Fickle, I don't know if he fits Florida necessarily, but he's a phenomenal coach at Cincinnati. Um, but a couple of interesting ones. So something that makes me think is if they if they want to go like that Bama, you know, Georgia model where, you know, Georgia kind of taking it from Bama by you know, bringing in Kirby Smart and just setting up that recruiting machine, you know, first you'd look at, hey, can I get one of their top assistants, one of their coordinators? Well, if you look at Bama, there's uh, Eli Gold or Gold or Pete Golding, excuse me, Eli Gold is the color guy. Uh, Pete <laughs> Golding, their defensive coordinator. Not many people think think highly of him um, enough to be a head coach, at least for a while. Um, and then Bill O'Brien, who's still kind of getting the stink off of him from his Penn State time and then also at Houston. So I think Alabama's kind of out of it. When you look at Georgia – you know, Todd Munkin is someone you could you could look at, but I don't, I think that the recruiting aspect, Dan Lanning becomes very interesting. So I would say Dan Lanning is someone that if I'm Florida, I'm circling because I know he can come in and he knows how to recruit like Kirby. Um, someone I thought that was an interesting one though is the guy who just cost him his job. What about Eli Drinkowitz? Uh, he's had a couple years at Mizzou. He's pulled a couple of interesting recruits so far as Missouri's head coach. Um, I know that they've had mixed results, so I definitely think Florida can do better. But I also think that he's got a little bit of like swag that Florida likes in a, you know, there's something ever since Mullen, or excuse me, ever since Spurrier was there that they kind of like a little, you know, spiciness from their head coach. So I could definitely see someone like Eli Drinkowitz, you know, the alpha nerd coming in and just, um, you know, doing, doing something special there. Um, honorable mention urban Meyer. They could just pull him. You took my joke. I was, I was going to, I was going to build to the guy in the NFL has college experience. He's won championships at multiple schools. Urban Meyer. Oh man. You took my joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, That's okay. Uh, I mean, we're on the same page though. Good joke. Uh, yes. someone posted a picture of Urban in you know, Florida coaching gear and said, man, this Photoshop's getting good. <laughs> like, <laughs> projecting coaches to, uh, to schools. Um, Daniel, I've got uh, three candidates in mind, but I'll say this about Eli Drinkwitz. I think it's something you mentioned. I think if you're Florida, you want to go with the opposite of what you had because it didn't work. Right. And so the whole kind of fun, fake swag talker, I don't think they're going to go with like you, you try that. I don't with think Mullen. it would be, a, I don't think it would be the right hire. Yeah. But I think that he would be someone that they would, I mean, entertain as, as, I mean, 
Scott Strickland hasn't shown that he can make that the right hire yet in the past. I mean, those last three coaches, Urban Meyer was the last right hire they've made as a head coach. I mean, so. So I think Florida is a top. I have to watch this. Florida's a top three job in the SEC. All right. You could argue 3A, 3B with Alabama. All right. So Billy Napier turned down apparently two or three SEC jobs last offseason, which is mind-blowing. The rumors are he's waiting on one of a couple jobs to open and one of a few jobs. And of the of the schools mentioned, LSU, Alabama, and Florida were all mentioned. And if you're Billy Napier especially, he's smart in that he does not have to – he's in a position, as long as he keeps winning at Louisiana, you have to watch your window, right? Like – he does not have to jump at the first power five job that becomes available. Right. Like if he wants to wait on his dream job and he keeps winning and he believes in himself, then he can just sit back and wait well, for the job to open up. If two of his three dream jobs, like you just said, are currently open, then we'll Alabama see- is probably not going to open for a while. You probably need to go ahead and jump in. So if, if I'm Florida and, and it's, it's for the reasons I mentioned, a relentless recruiter. So since he got to Louisiana, they've consistently been the best recruiting team in the Sun Belt, one of the best recruiting teams in the group of five. Uh, the way he builds relationships with high school coaches in the state of Louisiana, which, hint, hint, LSU, I think that's a good move. But Florida, again, you're Florida. You dictate the job market. Like, you go got to try to get your guy. Um, he was a great recruiter, recruiter at Alabama as, it, a, as an offensive he did assistant. It as a, at Alabama, you know, following the pattern here. And then – two program CEO. Yeah. Louisiana has the most coaches in the Sun Belt. They have the biggest football budget in the Sun Belt. They have the most off-field analysts in the Sun Belt. Like he has pulled resources like Alabama does. He 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 did what Kirby did, which is you you go to Alabama and you learn how did Saban make this successful. One of the biggest things Saban did when he got to Alabama was he said, I have complete control. We all got to get moving in the same direction. No more of this I'll give this, but I want this. No, no, no. You give this, and if you want to win, you let me do my thing. Back off. Mm. Like, like, we got to get all – and Saban, and that's what part of what makes him the greatest coach of all time is he knows how to be the program CEO and to get everybody moving in the same direction. That's why he's won five championships, six championships. <laughs> um, so I, I think Billy Napier is at the top of my list. Lane Kiffin is also at the top of my list. I think – Again, he's sort of fun, has the swag and stuff, which I don't know about how much that matters to Florida if you want to go the opposite direction of that. And three, you mentioned Dan Lanning. Like, if you're going for this top coordinator and you want to go, again, the whole opposites thing, which schools tend to do, you had an offensive guy, go get a defensive guy who's a relentless recruiter. And you might – it depends on how you look at it, but it's like, hey, do you want to go steal somebody from your biggest rival? Like, is that a big thing? Or is it, we don't want him, he's from Georgia. Like, which one is it? I think it could it could play either way. Right. So, this is interesting. We're not going to be done talking about this. Like, this coaching carousel will be a constant topic probably over the next – I mean, it's November 21st. Over the next month, like, between now and the end of the year, a lot of, a lot of these pins are going to start to fall. I think, after, Jacob, you could be talking about next Sunday. You could That's see – I, An I announcement think that in the regular su- season. Sunday or Monday next week, you're going to see – three, four big announcements that are just going to shake this whole thing. So 
I think that's that's really because they got to get through the end of this regular season, and if they're not in the playoff, or, or they're not anticipating me in the playoff, I know we got championship Sunday the following yeah. week, but if if there's no you know nothing to worry about there, you know, I think you can see an announcement. Kiffin's interesting. Uh, Cover three is talking about this. Coaches that are at the group of five level or other, you know, lower power five jobs. I know Ole Miss in the SEC, but that have a really good quarterback right now. It's like, how does that window appear when that quarterback is gone? Like Matt Corral is a five star. He wasn't this right rando that Kiffin developed. Now, Kiffin did develop him. Like he looked like a five star. So that, that there's some development there. But like, who's behind? I know you love John Reese Plumley, but it's like. This Kiffin takes take advantage yeah. of hey Corral's leaving. Am I going to be able to go ten to two at Ole Miss again next year, or do I go ahead and capitalize on this and go get a big time job again? So that's interesting. Well, similar for Napier, he's got several from his team leaving. So I mean, the most this would be a good year for him to leave. The most experienced team in the country was Louisiana this year, mm-hmm. like returning production. So a lot, a lot more. Same with come. Luke Fickle. This could be his year to capitalize. Like yep. a lot of these guys that are losing a ton, this not only could be, hey, the right job, but the window. If they stay another so, year and they go, they win eight games, is that, does that take some shine off of them and they get a lower job? Fickle is my, if Penn State or Michigan State become available. Like that's where he's going to whichever one comes and available. You're basically saying that because if they come available, because one of those coaches has left for a bigger job. Yes. Cause obviously they're both safe. Mel Tucker's contract has been on his desk all week. All I'm saying <laughs> has not been signed. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel, let's talk about this, this, this week and a lot of results that have a big, you know, a big impact on the end of the season, the college football playoff. So let's start big noon kickoff Ohio state, man. I mean, 56 to seven, it was 42, nothing at half. <laughs> so they kind of took their foot off the gas just a little bit in that second half. Um, Daniel, is this the Ohio state team that we picked to win the national championship this year? This one is you're absolutely right. You were on it by saying that they would flip that switch. I took, I took Michigan State with those points because I felt like it was still just too much. But what a win. A W would have been enough with how Michigan State has played so far this year. And Ohio State absolutely took them to the woodshed. Um, you just saw their explosiveness on offense, their completeness on offense, and then a good complementary defense that can play with a lead. That's the big thing. I think that um, if they've got a lead, they know that they can – they can pass rush and they can beat teams that are inferior on the offensive line. And, you know, they can make plays in space and play situational defense. If all the pressure is on the opposing offense to score because uh, Ohio state is just putting up points every time they've got the ball. Well, that becomes extremely frustrating, especially if you know that at any time Ohio state can just let the air out of it and say, we're just going to hand it to Travion Henderson 30 times and we're just going to run it. You've seen them do both this year. So they can win games both ways. And so you have to keep your foot on the throttle. You have to make them uncomfortable. You have to do all these special things. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work when you're like that, when you've got all this pressure on you. So I think Ohio state hitting that stride that we're referencing and you were talking about specifically this past week. Um, So excited to see 
kind of if their their ride into the playoff. Um, this week is going to be so much fun. Them in Michigan, the ultimate you know aptitude test on hey, you know where are they? What what you know what uh, we talked about this basically a quarterfinal for the for the playoff. So going ahead and getting an early start on the playoffs this weekend that'll be a lot of fun. So a lot of people have talked about this week that Ohio State, like, yin and yang, right? Like, this is the team people want to see play Georgia. You talked about complimentary football. The offense is so good, takes the pressure off the defense, and the hey, play, like you said, play situational football. Don't want to be explosive. Like, they're going to have to match us. At every stop, it's like you, you gain an advantage. And – but beyond that, the Ohio State defense was impressive. And here's what was impressive. Kenneth Walker III, a Heisman, you know, finalist coming into this game. Six carries, 25 yards. Game. Like, game over. C.J. Stroud, 32 of 35, 432 yards, six touchdowns. That's a video game. Game. That's a <laughs> like, video game. Game. So, Ohio State looked like a team that can win the national championship. They looked like a team – the people are going to say, I can't wait to see this offense against the Georgia defense. And, and similar similarity, like Georgia does the opposite, right? Like they have such a good defense. They know that, you know, Ohio State is saying every stop we get an advantage. Every time Georgia scores, boom, advantage. Because, like, you know, they're sitting here going, we're not going to let them score. So anytime the offense can score, like we're just widening our gap. And, and Ohio State's the opposite, right? So – these are two teams I would love to see play. I will say, I know I picked them to cover. I said 42 to 21, little off because it was 42 nothing at halftime. <laughs> they covered the spread in the first and second quarter, like each time. Individually. Yeah. <laughs> Individually. <laughs> um, Michigan State in total pass defense was ranked one to 130th out of 130 teams going into this game. So, Ohio State did with their passing offense what you'd think the number one passing offense would do to the last ranked passing defense in the country. That being said, I do think they flipped a switch, but a little teaser for this week's picks episode. I haven't seen the spread yet with the Michigan game. I do not think they do to Michigan what they did to Michigan State. So it's a little teaser. Talk more about it, but I mean, if you remember McNamara, who's not a great passer, looked great against Michigan State as well, as far as his numbers and everything like that. So, so more to come in Ohio State, but an impressive win nonetheless. Uh, Daniel, we'll talk about that at the end where they're going to rank. Uh, Alabama, Alabama and Arkansas. Daniel, we both took Arkansas with the points, and I, you know, Alabama wins forty-two to thirty-five. Arkansas never got the ball back with a chance to tie, right? So, like, yes, it was a one-score game, but they never get the ball back with a chance to tie the game. They were always kind of playing from two scores to one score, two scores to one score. Um, That being said, Daniel, the the reason I took Arkansas on the points was that Alabama has not shown me that they can go blow out good teams except for one time, and that was against Ole Miss. Miss, And honestly, Ole Miss was a little careless in that game. Kiffin going for it on fourth down early – like on his own side of the field, I don't think was smart. They turned it on for that one game, but you and I talked about it. I like to watch how elite teams come out of the bye week. And out of the bye week, they won 20-14 to 14 against LSU. Alabama did. 
All right, sure, they wouldn't lay it on New Mexico the next week. They come out this week, they win by seven against Arkansas. Hey, they win, a win's a win. You're 10 and one, you move on to the Iron Bowl. But I'm definitely sitting here going like, all right, well, Ohio State definitely looked better. And yes, the offense looked unbelievable. They had trouble in the red zone. I mean, 42 points, they won by seven. They they had almost 700 yards of total offense. Daniel? like (laughs) Yeah. And uh, they had several penalties in the red zone. Um, A couple of times I was watching, and Bryce Young had a lot of time, and then he just kept retreating and retreating. And then there was like a – when you have that much time and you can't find an opening, it just lends for – you know, basically doubles your chance of getting a holding call. And that happened a couple times. And it just was like, well, what just happened? And then Bryce Young takes a sack and it's like, they just drove all the way to like the four yard line. And then they get backed up to like the 30 and they were forced to kick a field or maybe they attempted a field goal and missed it. I can't remember anyways. So it's just their first four drives, they crossed Arkansas's 40 all four times and scored 10 points. So the echo rating would be through the roof. Except they weren't scoring. Oh, they weren't like, scoring. So they weren't getting yeah, those yeah, first yeah. down. They crossed the 40. So their echo rating would actually not be that great. Shout out, Parker. <laughs> we got to post that soon. But, yeah, Alabama, it was one of these things where the game played out similar to how I thought. I felt like Alabama would control the game, like you were saying, where they were always up two, two scores and then just one. And they were just holding serve the whole time. There's a couple moments where I felt like they could take full control and kind of put their, you know, foot on the throat and just kind of put it away. And they, they weren't able to. Now, some of that was, you know, like the fake, the fake field goal that they, that um, Arkansas threw a touchdown. That was a phenomenal play. If you love college football, you loved watching that play. I mean, it was a jump pass from, yeah, from the holder to, you know, a, reach behind your back and grab the, you know, grab it by the tight end. And then for him to score on that play, it was just electric. Now it took that for them to only lose by one score. And, you know, you could say maybe he makes the field goal, maybe he misses it, you know, and you start thinking if Alabama starts getting some of those stops, this could look a little different, but I felt very comfortable the whole time with that 20 point, you know, 20 and a half points that we took um, with this game Arkansas, that's one thing I feel like we just have to keep saying. They're just a very quality team this year. If they win next week or this week um, on Black Friday with Missouri, they'll be eight and four. So it's like against this schedule, I mean, that's a phenomenal year. Um, The SEC West is no cupcake. There's never an easy week. Um, And Arkansas has shown – I mean, Arkansas had to play Georgia out of the East this year. So – um, that just shows you what they've what they've been able to accomplish. So great by Arkansas. I do have some concerns about Alabama. I still think they're one of the top four teams. Um, I think that's still pretty obvious. But it's just weird seeing Alabama not be as dominant um, as they have been the past few years. So one, it's weird because not only are you comparing them to Alabama teams, it's like you're coming off of a team you could argue is one of the best of all time. Right. So it's like that's what it's being juxtaposed against. Alabama is a very good football team. Of course. It's just it's unfair, but it is what it is. You're comparing them against other Alabama teams, and it just happens that last year's team is one of the greatest college football teams of all time. 
<laughs> so it right. is what it is. You're Alabama. So that that's that's what's gonna happen when you're Alabama. Uh Daniel, one of the more, you know, I say shocking results of the day. Not to me. Uh <laughs> I did not think it was gonna be the score, but Utah, I mean, 38-7. It it was over when right before halftime they Oregon decided instead of kicking the ball out of bounds. They punted it to the best punt return in the Pac-12 to go to get out from 21 nothing to 28 nothing right before half, and the game was over at that point. Oregon just dominated start to finish. This was the game I felt like everyone was waiting on with right. Oregon, in that, hey, like we're gonna pretend you're better than Ohio State, like because you beat them and you have the same record, so you have the head-to-head, but. As soon as you lose, like I think Oregon takes a significant drop in the rankings this you think week. Out of the top ten, probably, the, probably like. 15. So when when I ranked the team, I'll tell you what I did with them. So I had them at three, above right. Ohio State again, and it's funny. Ohio State is what was propping up Oregon because everyone's like, I don't think they're that good, but I didn't think they were that good when they went to Columbus and won. Right. So like, how did they beat Ohio State? And I have the oh god, seventeen is where I have them. Okay. So, I mean, like, here's some teams I have listed ahead of them, a.k.a. I think these teams will beat them, all right? Wisconsin. Clemson. Pittsburgh. Utah. (laughs) Who just did? (laughs) Like, Texas A&M, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Baylor, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, Ole Miss, Michigan. Like, any – any objections? <laughs> uh, what would the score be if they played Ohio State tomorrow? See, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I told you in the offseason before the Ohio State-Oregon game that I'd lay three touchdowns with Ohio State. I would tomorrow, too. Well, I think but that they, they beat are, Ohio State. They're different teams now. <laughs> I but, agree. You know, also, you know, it could be a matchup thing that, you know, they got the better of for Ohio State. I agree that I think – I mean – Obviously, recency bias. It's like Ohio State is is the team. Now, it was funny because I was hosting some people at my house, and uh, some of my family was over, and they were like, "Wait a minute, you mean that Utah's favored in this game?" But the rankings, I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. you don't understand." They were I was three like, point dogs. Vegas doesn't care about the rankings. They mm-hmm. want this one. So, um, I explained about you know obviously the, the quarterback change for for Utah, but Utah, they're just one of those teams. That's one thing. Um, Whittingham, all his teams, I feel like, tend to just get better over the course of the season. It's obviously a mark of a great head coach. Um, you know what? Maybe Florida needs to go get Kyle Whittingham because last time they got a guy from Utah, it turned out okay. Um, shout out Urban Meyer. But I think that, you know, it would probably be something to their to their benefit to, to grab someone like that. But uh, anyways, Whittingham himself – it's amazing he's been there since 2005 because it, it's just time flies. But he just the way he builds his teams throughout the year, um, I mean, they're just a tough out. They would be someone you do not want to play at this time of year if you're a contender. And they anybody just, they got rid of Oregon. I mean, you know, if they if they didn't have those early losses and they were a team that had a real shot at the playoff, you know, if they were a one loss potentially could win the Pac-12 and do it that way. I mean. I mean they're a dangerous, you know, top four team. 
They play Oklahoma tomorrow. Like, who are you taking in the game? I'm probably taking Utah. Like, honestly, though, like that, and this is where, you know, you and I are both in the stay at four teams. Maybe two teams wasn't so bad. <laughs> kind of can't. Um, but a 12 team playoff would be fun for a team that puts it together over the season. We're like, hey, they're going to end the season nine and three, probably. Maybe 10 and three Pac 12 champs. And, now you don't want like you don't want to play them at the end of the year like like they got hot. My that argument, being said, my argument yeah. would be that sorry, I'm not gonna cut you off, but bowl games. I mean, bowl games are still fun, and oh, you I'm can end you. your season on a win, and like that's still a reward to go for them to go play the Rose Bowl, win the Rose Bowl, and it'd be like, oh hey, we just. We're Pac-12 champs. We won the Rose Bowl. It's something great to build off of. If we want a shot at a national championship, maybe don't lose those early games. Maybe pick the right quarterback I'm with out you. of the start of the season. So, like, um, I but put it I all mean, together. Me and you have season. always been on that on that side of just keep it small, keep it exclusive. I like the idea of it games meaning something, but they can still mean something about going to a bowl game, going to a major bowl game for a team like Utah. That's huge. Um, so, a Rose a Rose Bowl is a huge deal. Um, so yeah, obviously this is big playoff implications, Daniel. I mean, quickly, Cincinnati blows out SMU. They finally looked like what they want to be, which is a playoff contending team. Right. They're eleven and zero. I mean, Notre Dame won fifty-five to nothing yesterday, so they're sitting there at ten and one with like outside looking in. Here's the thing: Oregon opens up the door for a little chaos. Right. So. Like, Oregon losing, now you've got – I mean, most likely, Georgia's in regardless, right? Like, unless they just absolutely lose in blowout fashion Alabama where it's like 63 to nothing, and it's like, all right, timeout, maybe maybe not. Um, but if Georgia's in, right, th- then you're talking about either like, okay, a 12-1 and or an 11-2 Alabama team, right? A 12-1, and potentially Ohio State or Michigan. Let's not leave them out. Like a 12 and one Big Ten champ. Um, you could potentially have a one loss Big 12 champ. And then you've got these, okay, undefeated Cincy, potentially. Potentially one loss Notre Dame is not out of the like, they're not out of it yet. So I, I think there's a lot of chaos to come, which is fun. Like the next two weeks have serious implications on the end of the season. Which is fun. That's how it should be. These are all elimination games at this point. So I think there's some chaos to come, Daniel. But I mean, as of now, who would you put in your top four? I mean, for me, I would put, I would go Georgia and then I would actually move Ohio State ahead of Alabama for this week. Um, then I'd have Alabama at three. And then I think I'd just keep Michigan at four. I think this, that's, as far as logical right now, I'm like, this is what it is. And then it'll play out this week for Ohio state, Michigan and next week for Alabama and Georgia, uh, as far as seeding goes. So. I'm with you. I'd have the same top four. What do you think the committee does on Tuesday? Is that the top four the committee does? Yeah. The, the whole, they've had, uh, Ohio state has been just had a harness on it and it's been held back by that Oregon loss. And now, that Oregon has lost again, the dam has broken, and Ohio State can go all the way up to 
you know, top two. And I, I don't feel like they're they're concerned about it. They'll kick Oregon back. They don't worry about it. Now, I think the same thing can be said about Cincinnati and Notre Dame uh, for Notre Dame's sake. Every time Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame seems to be getting better. They just beat Georgia Tech 55 to nothing. Um, you know, they're just putting some teams away. It's like, all right, well, Notre Dame, you can beat them as bad as you want, but you're just making Cincinnati look better because if they keep winning and they have the head-to-head – now, if Cincinnati loses one of these last two games, um, whether it be the this next game or in the American Championship, then you could see Notre Dame potentially skip ahead of them as that, like, fourth team or, or, or whatever. I think Notre Dame obviously has a very small window. They have to have Cincy lose or absolute chaos, which I don't even – I don't have the bandwidth to just pick out all the losses that would have to happen for that to work for uh, Notre Dame short of Cincy losing. So that's their ticket. They need Cincy to lose one of the they next two need weeks. To lose. Yep. So it, it is funny. You mentioned like Ohio state had a harness on it with Oregon. Not only does Oregon lose, but on the same day Oregon loses, they beat a team by 49 that the committee had ranked seventh in the country. <laughs> so, I mean, a commanding win. I agree with you. I, I think the same way I would rank the top four is the same way the committee is going to do it on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I think Michigan is going to jump Cincinnati at four. I think Michigan has a much better resume than Cincinnati does. Um, uh, they, they've looked more dominant in all of their games. You know, the committee's talked about game control. It's not as a stat they've used. I don't know what actual stat they use for that. It's just a buzzword they've used. But, yeah. Um, it's time of possession. <laughs> goodness. What's, here's the thing about the committee. Uh, people give me crap. Like, oh, the current system sucks. Here's the thing. Four teams doesn't suck. The way they choose the four teams sucks. That being said, they've gotten the four teams right every year. Everything else is a wash and doesn't really matter. And I also, like, there's been some bullcrap stuff that's happened. Like, for example, Michigan being over Michigan State was ridiculous and made no sense. And to say it's going to work itself out, that's great. But what, Josh Pate's made a good point. What if it doesn't? Like, what if there wasn't a scenario where it could work itself out? Of course it was going to work itself out this year. But you set a precedent. Like, right. na- like, wait till now. Wait till Michigan State loses and then be like, oh, okay, yeah, Michigan's tremendously better. Now they're in the top four. Because you, you can justify that this week. Right. But – It'll be a lot of fun. It is fun to talk about. That's part of what makes college football special, even in the poll era, where it's like these AP voters are voting on a national champion. So there's always been controversy with rankings in college football. It's part of what makes it fun. So I do think even be like, if they were to put Cincinnati in the top four now, it'd be hard to justify taking them out later. I'm not saying there's conspiracy to keep the group of five out. I just think they don't think Cincinnati is a top four team. And there's been a big movement with like riders. They just love Cincinnati. And and here's the thing. UCF started this. Like UCF started this in 2017, getting people talking. But we'll see how it all happens. It's fun to talk about, right? So, yeah, I agree with you. I think the top four teams we have are also what the committee's going to have, which is Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, in Michigan. So I think that'll be your top four. That sets up for a top four matchup in Ann Arbor on Saturday. And what I think, again, teaser, I think this is Jim Harbaugh's best chance to beat Ohio State. And we watched what Ohio State does at Michigan State. I just think this is Jim Harbaugh's best team in Michigan. That's fair. 
So, all that being said, we will be back with picks at the end of this week for one of my favorite weekends, if not my favorite weekend all year, which is Rivalry Weekend. I know you feel the same way, Daniel. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Deep South Daniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes with a K. And that will do it for this edition of the Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. See you.